So Money, episode 1045, Tom Corley, certified financial planner and author of Effortless Wealth. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My advice is before you thrive, you have to survive. So we're in survival mode, everybody. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to survive. That That's going to change you know, your plans. Your your blueprint, you could still hold on to your blueprint, whatever your, your dream is. Don't, don't give up on your dreams. But because of what's going on in the world, you've got to pivot. Thrive or survive? What will 2020 be for you? I'm here to say that if it's just surviving, that's okay. You're winning. You're still winning in the personal finance books. This is an unprecedented time in our lives. Sometimes you have to make radical changes to keep head above water. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know how I feel about things. If you need to take money out of your 401k right now, because it is absolutely the only way to access short-term funds to keep your roof over your head, to put food on your plate for your family. Who am I to say not to do it? We don't want you to lose your house. We don't want you to starve. And if you don't want to take my word for it, I've got a certified financial planner on the show who's been managing people's money for decades. He's been analyzing rich habits for a big portion of his career, and he's a new book out called Effortless Wealth, my friend Tom Corley. Tom and I go, you know, back of several years, I first landed on his work when I was at Yahoo Finance, and he had done a huge study on rich habits. And he's back with some really important advice as we look ahead with so much uncertainty. How is he guiding his clients on things like retirement, college, and saving for a rainy day? Here's my friend Tom Corley. Tom Corley, welcome back to So Money. It's been a while. I, I checked back in the archives. You came on the show February 6th, 2015, five plus years ago. What a time to be alive, we were just saying. How are you? I'm doing great, but you and I go back a little bit further, back to 2013. Yes. You were one of the first major pe- major media people that uh, you know, opened me up to the world. So I appreciate oh. that. I'll never forget that. Well, thank you for your exceptional content. And that was back at the, uh, back at Yahoo Finance. So I was hosting Financially Fit, my, one of my favorite jobs, uh, hosting that video series. And back then you had this groundbreaking study on people's habits, people who accumulate wealth and their habits, everything from like how they eat and how they exercise and how they think, uh, versus people who are paycheck to paycheck. And, and that went viral. I know like Dave Ramsey picked up that story and really set you off. You are a very prolific writer outside of your day job, which is, you know, managing money. And But you have a new book. I'm really excited to share this with everybody. It's called Effortless Wealth, uh, Smart Money Habits at Every Stage of Your Life. Let's just talk about the current stage everybody's in, which is panic stage. <laughs> Um, a lot of people feel like they have to put some of these life stages on hold, whether that was getting married, 
weddings postponed, having a kid. Do I really want to have a kid in a pandemic? Buying a house, have no idea about that. Going back to college, what is college? There's so many uncertainties right now. The traditional life stages are completely upended um, in terms of how we're even going to go afford that, let alone follow through on those things. So what is your advice right now to people who feel a bit lost at sea? My advice is before you thrive, you have to survive. So we're in survival mode, everybody. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to survive. That That's going to change you know, your plans. Your your blueprint, you could still hold on to your blueprint, whatever your, your dream is. Don't, don't give up on your dreams. But because of what's going on in the world, you've got to pivot. And the pivot now is to survival. And then later you can thrive. And to, to survive, we're, we're considering things that we never considered before, like taking money out, out of our 401k, paying the minimums on our credit card bills or, or deferring the credit card bills. Is that okay during times like these? I mean, in an emergency, you, you do gravitate towards these last ditch efforts. And I guess, is there a time and a place for that stuff? There is. I mean, when if you have a family that you're responsible for, and you've got a house or a place that you're renting that you've got to make the rent on, you've got to do whatever it takes to keep your family intact at, at this point in time. You've got to do whatever it takes. Now, you know, fortunately, you know, they've got certain things that the government initiatives like the Paycheck Protection Program and uh, the idle loans. And, you know, they have people who have lost a job have uh, that additional $600 unemployment benefits. And those things are going to help you survive. And, but if you've got to pull money out, I have clients that are doing this. They're pulling money out of their 401k because they're allowed to pull up out up to 100000 without getting hit with that 10% penalty. So they're doing that. And I'm advising them to do that if they have to do it. If you don't and everything unravels, it's going to take years to get out behind the eight ball. So you, the idea is to, to stay ahead of that eight ball. Not, don't let, let it steamroll you and put you in a situation where you're going to be recovering for many, many years. Retirement is something that for many people is also uh, delayed. What are the conversations you're having with your clients around retirement? Is it just plan for another few more years of working? And if that is the case, is that to say that this recession slash depression is going to be a very long duration of low employment, low wages, et cetera? So for those that are still in the accumulation phase, they're still building their wealth uh, we're telling them to not change anything that they're doing in terms of the investment strategy because that strategy is sound. The financial plan hasn't changed. The blueprint hasn't changed. Uh, but for those individuals uh, who are just entering retirement uh, and they're starting to draw down on some of their retirement assets and some of their other non-retirement assets, the conversation we're having is you've got to you know, cut back. You've got to do whatever it takes to cut back on your expenses so that you could reduce your withdrawals so that you could survive this. Now, the cutback phase might be a year. That's kind of what we're thinking. We're asking them to make some, some modifications in their spending uh, just to get through this. And if they can, uh, you know, hopefully they can, uh, but some can't. And that's that's a problem. And there's no answer to that other than hope that this economy recovers quicker and it doesn't take a year. Our guess is my group that I'm affiliated with, we're, we're thinking it's going to be about a year because there's going to be a lot of 
a lot of small businesses that just don't come back. And that means there's going to be unemployment that continues. You know, this isn't going to be some, a quick recovery. It's not going to be, you know, a V-shape. No way. Mm-hmm. Not now. Maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Uh, but not now. No, it's going to be uh, a W maybe or a U. Yeah. yeah, it'll it'll be more of a of a a wide U. You've been at this for some time and, you know, decades helping people with their money and analyzing people's finances in the grand scheme of your professional life. Where does this stack up? Is this completely unprecedented? And are you hopeful that we will actually see a brighter day? And uh, yes, in 10 years, but I, I'm not patient and I don't think my listeners are either. We want to know that, okay, a year actually sounds pretty optimistic. You said a year. I'm thinking like it's going to be at least two years. I was reading another piece the other day, uh, a forecaster saying like 12 years of negative growth in the stock market. I don't know about that, but there's a lot of... Uh, it's all over the place, the estimates. I, I'm not buying into, and we're not buying into my group, uh, the long-term negative consequences of this. We we don't see that. We we, we do think it's going to be about a year. It could be longer than a year. No, there, there. you can already see with the stock market, the stock market's always a leading indicator. They build into stock values. You know, they kind, it kind of grows with the way that these individuals in the stock market or uh, measuring things going out into the future, it kind of immediately builds into the values, the S&P 500, the, the Russell 2000 index. Those things are all have been moving up over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, So we, we do believe that there's going to be as, as soon as it's like a loaded spring, Farnoosh. You know, we this spring is is tightly wound. When you know the world opens up, when our economy opens up, and the quarantine ends, uh, that spring is going to get released, and there's going to be an immediate boost. But uh, then it's gonna it's gonna slow down, and you're probably going to see the stock market. You know, I would say by the end of the year, you know, you might be looking at twenty five, twenty six thousand on the S&P anyway. And then you're going to probably see after the election, you're going to probably see it start to move up more. And this thing is going to be a memory in about in about two years. Do you think our habits are going to change, you know, in terms of how we go about um, thinking about wealth accumulation, the, the value that we put on certain things like owning a home? Um, I wonder if there are going to be some just shifts, paradigm shifts, right? In our culture, the things that we've once valued, we don't anymore, or the things that we took for granted, like mm-hmm. our health, the you know proximity to our loved ones, um, living in a country that's well-resourced. <laughs> yeah. uh, the basics that we take for granted, and now we're realizing, oh, these are the luxuries. What do you think is going to happen in terms of our cultural, cultural embrace of what is wealth and what, what, what defines rich? I think a, a lot of people, especially the younger people, are going to um, realize the importance of having that safety net. It's going to have all new meaning to them because if they were living paycheck to paycheck before, uh, now they're going to reevaluate their lives and say, you know what, I I don't want all of the, the crazy things that I wanted before. I don't want all the stuff that I wanted before. What I want is a little bit more security because who knows what will happen five or 10 years from now, and I want to be better prepared. I, I think that it's also going to change the work-life uh, situation. You know, you're going to, going to be seeing a lot more people uh, working from home. 
it seems to be a grand experiment and it's worked that people can uh, work from home. The big companies are going to maybe commercial real estate. If you're in that business, I would, I would be a little bit worried if I was in that business because the commercial space is, is going to be less in demand, I think. So people are going to be able to work from home, save some money because now they don't have to commute as much. Uh, so there's going to be you know, that work life balance is going to be improved upon. So there's some good things that are going to come out of this, the shift in the mindset that, hey, I've got to plan better. I can't just uh, wing it anymore. Uh, You know, some things are outside my control and I want to regain some control in my life. And the best way to do that is to have some type of safety net in case something bad happens down the road. So I, you know, I think the idea of investing isn't going to change. That's going to be probably more pronounced because people are going to realize, hey, you know, the more money I save, the more money I can invest and the more wealth I can grow. And that's good in the event that something bad happens down the road. I have something to lean on. I I don't have to borrow from family or move in with family because uh, I can't pay my rent now or for the next six months. So they're going to really reevaluate everything about their lives. I think people that are really hurt the most are going to really rethink everything they spend money on. What about the younger, you know, your kids uh, are college age or they've graduated from college. They're, they're on the tail end of the millennial generation, Gen Z maybe. Are you hopeful for that generation? I just interviewed a professor of NY at NYU, Scott Galloway, who teaches an MBA class there. And he has a lot of, uh, let's just say, not so optimistic visions about what's going to happen to the millennial generation. They, they have been through now two downturns in the economy at pivotal times in their professional lives once when they were coming out of college and then again now when they're kind of in that accumulation phase of building wealth. So when you go back to your book, for example, Effortless Wealth, which talks about all these sort of life stages, do you think that the younger generation can still achieve these life stages? And and some of them don't even want, you know, and that's fine, you know, they don't want to go in that sort of traditional path. But what is your forecast for that generation in terms of achieving financial freedom? Well, I think the, the millennials who have graduated college and and who uh, wind up on the other side of this with a job and they, they, you know, they still have a job and uh, they're going to be OK because they're going to recover. Uh, like I said, they're going to pivot and make some changes to their lives. The ones that I'm fearful for are the ones who are just getting started in college or, you know, they're, they're in college, they're just getting started, maybe a year or two away. The f- parents who were, you know, negatively affected by this quarantine and lost some wealth and lost some income, they're going to be hard pressed to fund their kids' college costs, right? The, that means that if their children are going to go to college, that they're going to have to incur more debt. Uh, so I see that the millennials or the generation Y, I think they're called, if they're you know on the precipice of going to college, I see them having to incur more college debt. Now, on the flip side, one of the things that this has opened up our eyes to is the opportunity for distance learning. Behind the scenes, behind all the machinery are institutions and organizations that are amping up their online or distance learning programs. Uh, And they may be traditional uh, universities and colleges that 
are expanding the scope of uh, their distance learning. You know, so I think there's going to be opportunities for the, the next generation, maybe on a positive note, to do more of that and save some money on, you know, at least save some money on that, the housing costs, you know, the, the dorm fees and all that stuff. So I think they're going to have to reevaluate college a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the cost can't just continue to go up at the six to eight percent it has every single year. If you're not getting New York by, by with an NYU experience, um, what are you paying for? I agree with you. And I and I do think that some of these zombie universities that have just been cashing in without really providing their graduates with an ROI, arguable ROI, are going to go to the wayside. People are going to have to get smarter about where they invest their education dollars. And I don't, I hope that this, um, this tendency to just over leverage to go to college to get the degree is just, it's nonsense, you know, and now it's proving to be even more the case. So systemically, what do you think needs to happen? There's obviously people that things that we can do and we should do as individuals to protect our wealth, but Let's be honest, we need all the help we can get from all sides, from the government, from corporations, from institutions. What would you like to see change from a systemic perspective? I think I'd like to see more of an automated savings and investment approach. You know, everybody, the younger people, retirement and savings, uh, that's something that they think about. They don't necessarily do. So what I'd like to see from a systemic infrastructure standpoint is that they have more of these automated savings. I like to call it making your money invisible. I, I like to see that this generation that's coming out of this, this younger generation that's coming out of this quarantine, really change their their mindset around money and say, look, I've got to I've got to automate the savings process. The process I've got to automate the investment process. Uh, I've got to pay more attention to my money. Uh, I've got to be frugal with my money, not cheap, but frugal. Uh, I've got I got to look for uh, quality and whatever I'm spending my money on. So whatever it is I'm spending my money on has value to me and is long lasting. Uh, I think they're going to look in terms of services. They're going to look for individuals who are providing high quality advice that adds value to their lives. So there's uh, I, I think they're going to be more intuitive about who they're doing business with. So the. You know, if you're a service provider or if you're a manufacturer of some products, you're going to you're going to have to step up your quality because there's less money out there for these uh, younger this younger generation to spend their money on due to this uh, shutdown. You know, there's going to be have have to be some pivoting going on with service providers and, and manufacturers. That's for sure. Uh, I think, you know, the idea of, you know, traveling, that's going to that's going to take a big dent. I think the younger generation is going to really rethink traveling by air for sure. So they're not going to be spending as much money on, on air travel. I, I think companies are going to do the same thing. Uh, so I think we're going to see an expansion. I mean, if you're in the space where you're providing, you know, webinars or you're in that kind of business, you're, you know, you do like speakers. I do a lot of speaking engagements. Well, that's changing. So you're going to have to rethink that. You know, how am I going to get my message out? How am I going to be able, be able to communicate my knowledge? How am I going to share my skill sets now in this environment? I mean, sure, maybe two or three years from now, as I said, it might be a, a, a distant memory, but it may not. What if it has a derivative impact? And now we're starting to, to see that uh, we're going to have to get um, you know, pivot and become more of, of an online presence than we were before. 
so maybe social media is going to expand. If you weren't doing a lot of social media in terms of business, now you're going to have to do more of that and you're going to have to become more of an online presence. I think there's, you know, this online stuff is, is just going to explode. And, you know, this generation, Farnoosh, they're, they're equipped to handle that. Yeah, they're they're nimble. I think we sometimes underestimate the youth, as they say, you, uh, youth is wasted on the young uh, sometimes. Um, and I'm hopeful. I, I think um, with adversity and challenges comes um, you have to flex this mu- this muscle that you weren't flexing before, which is your resilience and your requirement to think outside the box. So um, if you if you lean into that, I think that you you're going to find success on the other side of this. Um, you are going through a real estate transaction as we speak. A lot of my listeners are so curious about the real estate market, and it's hard to make predictions on that front. Uh, but would love to hear anecdotes. How's it been going for you? What are you learning? I mean, is it is it going smoothly? Tell us. This whole Northeast corridor here, we're experiencing a lack of inventory in real estate. So there aren't many houses, that many houses on the market. Uh, we're just starting to see, the, the, at least from my discussions with different real estate agents and attorneys, they're just starting to see an uptick on the inventory. So that's a good thing if you're a buyer. Uh, so this May, June period is uh, going to be uh, probably good for anybody that's on the buy side of real estate. Uh, if you're on the sales side, it's still good because the inventory is light. So you're going to get, you know, f- most people are going to see, you know, probably get full value for their real estate if it's priced right. You know, we've gone through three contracts <laughs> and it's hard to get into the houses just to look at the houses. We had one house for news with a, you know, one with the one we're buying. We're actually uh, closing on. Uh, I couldn't see the house for like three weeks. We, my wife and I were like, how are we going to buy this house that we think we love without seeing it? So finally, they acquiesced. And now, you know, we've got got to see the house. So that's a, a struggle. It's a challenge for anybody that's buying a house. Or selling a house because you know you don't want to bring virus the virus into yes. your home just to make some money, right? Some people have no choice; they have to sell. They, they their life goes on. They have children that are they're trying to get into better school systems, so they're you know, trying to sell their home. And we're seeing that uh, we experienced that with the first house that we contracted on. They they were anxious to get into another another town so they could get their their kid into a better school system, but that didn't work out. It, it's what we saw is these deals are not as easy uh, as the pro- deals that we've done in the past, my wife and I. So it's a little bit of a struggle. And there is some adversity on the buyer's buying side and there's some adversity on the selling side because of the shutdown. The good part about this is if you stick to it, if you persist, uh, you're going to get some value. There's value out there. And you experience that yourself. And, and we did, too. We're getting some real value in terms of buying something that we thought should be priced much higher. And we're very fortunate and, and blessed and lucky and all that stuff. So I, I think just because the timing couldn't have been worse to be selling and buying a home during this COVID-19 you know, quarantine. But uh, you know, we stuck to it. We've been at it for three months 
and uh, now we're gonna we're gonna close, and it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be better than we ever imagined. Yeah, uh, so. it's not for the faint of heart, is what I'm saying to anybody who is interested in <laughs> going through any side of the of a real estate transaction. I feel as though if you were interested in buying, like you and your wife were before all of this came down stick with the goal, be persistent. Um, if you're in the middle of all this and going, Hmm, maybe I should buy, but haven't really done any homework or don't, don't even have like the savings and, and it's not an easy process. And it's not something that I think you want to overwhelm yourself with right now with so much else going on. Yeah. And my message really is this, don't let the fear hold you back from doing something that is sound and prudent. This whole economic shutdown has really been fed by fear, right? So the fear of uh, the New York Times had an article that scared the bejeebas out of everybody on March 13th. They said there was going to be 2.2 million deaths in the U.S. Well, that scared everybody. I don't care what you know what type of courageous individual you you might believe yourself to be. You see that, and you think about your kids. You think about yourself. You think about your parents, your loved ones, your friends. You think about everybody you know who's you know, p- potentially could be one of those 2.2 millions. Well, that didn't turn out to be reality. Thank God. But, uh, you know, it, it, it don't let fear hold you back from doing what is the right thing to do. If you need to sell and you, you think it's a good time to buy and you have to get your kids into a school system where you want to just downsize, don't let the fear hold you back. Do it because it makes sense. Just be cautious in how you go about it. You protect yourself. Last question for you, Tom. Let's let's touch again on your book, Effortless Wealth. You wanted to focus on life stages as a way to have a, a discussion around how to build wealth and make f- sound financial choices. Why did you want to focus on life stages, especially when I feel like a lot of people are sort of zigzagging through life? Like they're not sure they want to get married. Fewer people are getting married. Few people are having the big weddings. Fewer people are having kids, you know? Um, so I'm just curious to know what was the sort of aha moment for the book? What I realized in my rich habits study is that building wealth is really stage based. Uh, you go through certain stages. You go through, you know, that engagement stage. You go through the wedding, and then you get, you know, you're buying your first home or renting your first place, and then you're starting. If you you and your spouse have shared money habits, you're starting to implement them, and so that's new. So my point in writing the book was, hey, these are the right habits, smart money habits to have at every stage, at each particular stage. So you can read the book and say, all right, you know, we're going into this wedding stage. Uh, Let's see what the book says about, you know, getting married. How much should I spend on the wedding? And so I kind of get into that. I kind of get into how much you should be coughing up in terms of uh, housing, home ownership. I try and highlight the importance of sticking to that 25% uh, home ownership cost ratio, that's important. That allows you to save. If you find yourself in the 35 to 40% of in net income spending that on housing, you're not going to be able to save. So you've got to really uh, look at that stage. And then there's the stage where you're growing your career. Are you going to go to graduate school? I did graduate school at night for three and a half years, and that cost me money and that cost me time. It wasn't worth it. It was worth it. But, you know, you so you have to, that's a stage. So you have to be prudent on how you spend your money during that stage so you can still save. So you have to make these adjustments or pivots during every stage so that you can save and consistently invest your money. You have to pivot. Pivot is the magic word right now, isn't it? It sure is. 
More so than ever. More so than ever. Uh, Thank you so much, Tom. It's so nice to reconnect. Um, Wishing you and your family smooth sailing as you navigate the, uh, the rest of your real estate journey. And congrats again on your book, Effortless Wealth. Thanks, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Tom for joining us. His book, again, is called Effortless Wealth. To learn more about Tom, check out richhabits.net. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com. If you missed the episode or want to share it with a friend, you can grab the audio. You can also download the transcript and click on Ask Farnoosh. Submit your questions for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. So money.